The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Father, we thank you for your word, and God, I just ask that this morning, Lord, your Holy Spirit would help us. Lord, your word says that the Holy Spirit would come and be a counselor, Lord, that he would lead us into the truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would do that. Help us to understand, Lord, at a deep level, Lord, at a spiritual level, Lord, in our hearts, Father, in order that faith could spring up from your word and begin to change the way that we live, God, and we begin to have the fruit that comes from the Spirit. Father, we thank you for it. Amen. All right, we are um, still going to be talking on grace. We talked on grace last week, but we're going to continue this talk on grace. Only this uh, week, we're going to focus a little bit on the idea of grace, not just in general, but grace in what I posted on our Facebook invite was grace in a mad, mad world, or grace in a, I would even say, a mad and dark world, because that's what we live in. I mean, if you flip on the news, it really doesn't matter what day or what time you flip on the news. Somebody is getting... uh, killed, assaulted, um, a corrupt official is getting uh, hauled into jail or questioned. Something is always happening that when you flip it on, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare. And you just want to turn it off and just stay at home or go back to bed. Like, this is craziness. Now, as believers, we obviously don't live with that at the forefront of our mind in the way that we think. But it is something that the rest of the world is living in. They don't have Jesus to look to. The the verse that says to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it doesn't even uh, enter their mind. They just look at the world around them, and they don't see rhyme, and they don't see reason. It doesn't make sense. It's discouraging. It's overwhelming. And there's no uh, out. It's just darkness. And then we wonder why it's drugs that sell, alcohol that sells, why it's sex that sells, why it's anything that can bring pleasure and get us away from just the discouragement of the mind is what sells. And even now, like, virtual reality is coming out. I was talking to Kyle, and he was uh, playing virtual reality at a friend's house, and it's the newest, greatest, most expensive version of it. And it's so real. Kyle said he had the headsets on and everything, and he's running around in there like a pony. Is that what you're— No, (laughs) so it's like, pick your own avatar. He's like, I always wanted to be a pony. So he's in there bouncing around, eating grass. It was amazing. No, he's playing some kind of game. Where he, what were you in there? Skyrim. So he's like a warrior. He's playing this game, and after like an hour or something, he was getting tired. How many of you have gotten tired playing video games? Just look at, look at this. All the kids back there are like, I don't get tired. They play for hours and hours. But Kyle got tired because it's full 3D, interactive. Everything around you is this game. And he's in there. He said he got tired, and he looks over, and there was a, like a, a counter thing there console countertop and so he went to lean on it to rest because it was so real to him after that many hours so he goes to lean on it to rest and he starts to fall because there's nothing there it's just his mind okay that is what the rest of the world that's a non-believer that doesn't have the truth of christ that's believing the lies that jesse just talked about is experiencing every day of their life. They are living in a world 
that is completely made up of lies. It's not just fake news. It is a complete fake life, a complete fake perspective that life is about me, that life is about my needs, that the world is chaos and has no order and there's no plan and there's no rhyme and there's no reason. And this is the virtual reality that they live in. And then discouragement comes, depression comes, lack of meaning comes, people are committing suicide, people are cutting, people are drinking it away, they're, they're pleasuring it away, they're doing all these things because they're looking for something to lean on, something to rest on. And what happens is the same thing that happened to Kyle, is they go to lean on it or to rest on it, and it, it doesn't support them. It just falls apart. Because it's not what God intended for us to live on. In fact, the world that they see is not even the world that's theirs. They may look around at their kids and see their kids and go, oh, my kids are hopeless, my kids are struggling, my kids are, they're, they're never going to amount to anything. They're, oh, they're just so bad. That's not the word of God. The word of God says to train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. God gives promises that if we invest in our kids, that they will grow up to do what God has for them and to be valuable and to have a purpose in their life and to accomplish things. But maybe their view is, oh, this young generation, it's worthless, and they don't do anything, and they don't know anything, and they don't care, and they're falling into this whole entire world that's being painted around them. Maybe it's their marriage, and they look at it and say, there's no hope for my marriage. I can't love my wife. I can't love my husband. There's no way to forgive. We can't fix this. And they look at the world, and the world says, hey, go over here and, and do this to get pleasure. Go over here and find somebody else. You don't have to stay married. Get a divorce. Walk away. Do this. And they begin to look at all this, and it becomes their reality. And they live in this. It's a mad, crazy, dark world that we live in, and people are falling under the illusion that that is what it's all really about, that this is the truth. Sometimes it begins to affect believers. We get our mind off of Jesus and off of God's word, and we begin to look at the world around us so much. We have the headset on so much by watching and looking and thinking about everything that's going on around us that we begin to lose sight. And so for some of us, we need to take off the world's information and put on God's information, his input. We need to turn off the TV. We need to turn off the movies. We need to turn off the radio. We need to turn off the podcast. We need to turn off the game. We need to turn off something that's feeding us all the time. Pull it off and put on some worship music. Put on some of God's word coming through. Open up his word and begin to read it. Talk to other believers that can encourage and build us up and begin to get out of that and wake up and go, oh, wow, that, was just, that, that wasn't even real. This is real. And that's what God has for us. And so we live in this world, but there is a place of what we're going to talk about today is grace and peace. Not out of the world. Jesus said that we were to remain in the world, but not be of the world. And so we are going to be here in this world, but we can experience God's grace and his peace. And here's the verse that we're going to start with. 2 Peter 1, 2 says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now we're going to get into this verse a little bit. Okay, first of all, Grace can mean a couple of things. In this verse, what he's talking about is grace as the divine empowerment of God to accomplish his will. 
The Bible uses grace in two different ways. One is grace that we think of, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, like it saved me, it rescued me, it loves me, God cares for me. Oh, the reckless love of God. That's grace in a sense. But the other side of it, which we touched on last week, is a divine empowerment for us to actually live differently. That's what he's talking about. He says grace and peace. So divine empowerment be with you. God's ability be with you. Not just grace as in, well, it's a hard world, brother, but just grace. It's similar to what Jesus talked about, that if somebody comes by and they don't have a coat or they're hungry, and you just say, oh, do you know what? Peace, God be with you. That might be grace to say, do you know, man, I love you. You're in a hard circumstance. I love you. But the grace that empowers says, here's a coat. Here's what you need for where you're at. Here's some food. And so what he's talking about is that God would give us the ability to do what he's called us to do. And peace, that we can live amongst all this chaos but still be in peace. And so John chapter 1 is our next verse, and it's verse 4 through 5. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so the concept here is that what it's explaining is that Jesus came into the earth, and that as he came in, he was both the life, he died and rose again, he brings us new life, and the light of mankind. So first of all, he breaks us out of this kind of death and despair and chaos. He brings us life, but then he's also light. And what does light do? Light illuminates darkness. Light dispels darkness. Light makes it so that anyone around it is able to see. And so if we look at our own circumstances, what God has called us to do and what he's trying to do and have us walk like Jesus is that we are in this dark world, this mad and crazy world, and first, he wants to give us life. And then he wants to empower us to be a light so that others can see that this life and this peace and this is all available through the grace of God, through the empowerment of God. And so as we look at that, the, the difference of grace is going to be kind of where we focus the rest of this message on. And so those two parts, one, that initial understanding, I'm going to show you, I can use those now, um, is I'm going to show you, just with these, and I'm going to use this as my example, is that our first type of grace is this grace that brings life. Okay, so I put this life jacket on. So I'm in this crazy, wild world where it seems like at every moment some kind of wave could take me out. Oh, it's a little tight on the chest there. <laughs> I have been working out, Eric, just a tad. But... Note to self, loosen it a little next time. Um, what's that? You look like a I do, I look like a security guy. <laughs> uh, that's why we don't pass the mic around, by the way. <laughs> but I will tell you this. First, he brings life. That's a grace, the grace that brings life, that saves us, that rescues us, right? We put this on, and now here we are. Now, if you have kids, you know that when you put a life jacket on them, and you say, hey, wear this, what's the first thing that they say? But mom, I don't want any. Dad, you say, what's going to save your life? But it's choking me! <laughs> it's not choking you. Pull it down, let go. Fine. It doesn't look good. We're on the water. We're out on the ocean. You need it. I don't need it. I can swim. If I need it, I'll come back and get it. You'll be drowning. A shark will be eating you. You need it now. 
And so you put it on, and what do they want? They want to take it off. Okay, that's not far different from us as believers. As believers, we get this grace of God, and we have this humility and this dependence on God and on his word and on Jesus. And it doesn't take long before we just really kind of want to like, okay, I'm feeling good now. I can get this off, and I think I'll be okay. And we kind of start to distance ourselves, not from a profession of faith, but from a reality of living our faith. We start to move away from spending time with the Lord, spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, living as if we're a believer. We just start to, well, I'm, you know, it's, it's okay, man. I've been saved by grace, and I don't really need that relationship and that closeness with God, and I don't need to do things His way, and I've got grace. And we just want to take it off. Why? Because really, if we try to follow God's plan and live God's way and do things how God wants, it would be choking us. I don't like it. God, this kind of, it, it chokes my self-will. It, it hurts like all my desires. I don't like it. God says, you know, no, you need it on. This is how you are going to have grace and peace and life in the chaotic, crazy world that you live in. I have, if I need it, I'll come back and find you. Right now, I just want to do my thing. But he's calling us to, to keep on his way of living and to keep on our relationship with him all the time. And so the other part of this is that he calls us to be a light. Now, if you take a kid and you put on a little vest like that, and then you put something on him that's reflective and it's going to bring more light. And then you send him to school on Thursday when school starts. Wouldn't that be exciting? It's just such a mess. Now I'm going to leave it like that just because I know it bugs my wife and Robert. My wife dresses me at home. It's not clipped wrong. First of all, it's Velcro. Second of all, You know what? Let's just talk about legalistic Christians for a minute. <laughs> the legalistic Christian sees the life of God working in someone, and all they can say is, but it's crooked. Yes. First of all, I understand God's good, but you, sir, are crooked. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Talk about a need for grace. <laughs> grace right here. Okay. Take a kid and put the light on him. Boom. Is my zipper up? <laughs> Let's turn. Is this good enough for everybody? Am I dressed fine enough? I will have you know, I made it. Hey, nailed it. Right, Nicole? Nailed it. Good, I nailed it. Boom. It's exactly how it went when I pictured it. So, when you get ready for a date and you look like this, okay, not only do you have on the safety that God's given you in this life, but then he says, that's not enough. I want you to shine out there. I want you to be a light out there. Okay, well, there's a problem there. Because I can accept, God, that you want to save me. And it's not comfortable to live your way, but I'm willing to do it because I've drowned before and, and had to be resuscitated. I've been right on the verge of losing it. I've been facing death, and you saved me, and I needed that. So, Lord, I'm okay with this. You can do that. I'll wear it. Took a bit. You had to settle me down, but I'll leave it on forever. But now you want me to put a light on? Now you want me to be reflective? Now you want me to be, everybody can see me and see what's going on? Uh, that, that's a, a little much. I'm just a private Christian. I got a private faith. Okay, but that's not what God's called us to. 
There's nowhere in the Bible that shows that that's what God's called us to. Jesus came as both the life and the light of the world, and he sent us from the world to do the same thing. So this is where we wind up as believers. Now here's the issue when we live in a crazy, crazy world that lives in this wild virtual reality chaos that they think is truth. We come in and first we're saved by God's grace. Then God says, put this on. Why? Because people need to see you. So we walk into that reality, and we're like a glitch in the system. It's like we walk in, and people are like playing the game, looking around, and all of a sudden they look over, and it's like, <laughs> something's happening with that person that doesn't fit the programming here. And it causes a confusion, and it causes them to look and go, what is that? And a couple things can happen. One is that they can hate it and try to fix it because it bothers them. And Jesus says that. The world hated me, and you know what? The world's going to hate you. There's people that will just see. It doesn't matter if you love them, if you took them presents every day, if you liked all of their posts online, if you did everything you could for them. When they see the joy of the Lord in you, and they see you living in peace, they will hate it. Why? I don't know. But they do. I was once that person that would look at people that had all this, and there was a, a piece of me that was like, gosh, I hate that. Because it was in contrast to how I lived. And so it hurt my eyes. It bothered me. It, annoyed, it irritated and annoyed my spirit. Because I didn't want to have it, and I didn't know how to live it, and I couldn't apply it, and so it was just a distraction. And so I didn't like it. But other people will look at that, and they see that's the way out. And so how do we do this? How do we wear this part? Because a lot of us are willing to accept the part of being saved. But how do we put the light on? We put the light on by living differently than the world. It's the only way to do it. There is no other way to do it. You can't do it by posting scriptures on Facebook. You can't do it by saying God is good on Facebook. If your life isn't matching up. Because if you do that and people know you and they see your real life and they see what you post there... It doesn't shine for Jesus. What it says is, oh, there's another person that lives a, uh, lives a lie. And you fit in. It doesn't happen because we try to become so much like them that, well, if I become enough like them, then maybe I can lead them to Jesus or take them that way because I try to fit in so much. If I take off all of my stuff and I'm in the middle of a crazy raging storm, and I say, I'm going to take it all off and jump in the water because there's people drowning and I want them to know that I'm one of them and I love them. I'm taking off my safety vest, I'm taking off my light, I'm just jumping in. Okay, that doesn't help them because one, they can't find me. And two, is now I'm in the same position that they are. I'm at risk of drowning. And a lot of Christians today believe that the best way to reach people that are hurting and broken and lost and discouraged and depressed is to try to become so much like them that they become the bridge. Like, do you know what? I need to bridge them to Jesus, so I'm going to become just like them so that then they can find Jesus. That's not a biblical model. The biblical model is that we look like Jesus and that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the drawing and the revealing, and he brings the people to himself. And so as we do that and we look, and they look at you and they go, why do you live so different? Why don't you live like me? Or when they say, how do you have so much joy? How is your 
how's your life working out like that? How come you're going through a financial struggle, but you're not depressed and discouraged and losing your mind like I am? How can you see the mass shootings on the news and you're not worried about your kids going to school or you're still shopping at the big box stores and going to Walmarts and you're going out in public and you're going to concerts and aren't you scared? No, I'm not scared. Getting older and close to the end of your life, don't you regret your life? No, man, I'm fulfilled and I'm moving. I ran the race. Why do you feel that way? Because I feel like my life has just been wasted or I'm wasting it now. It's the contrast, it's the light shining that causes the people in that dark, crazy, mad world to look and say, that person has something I don't. That person has a vest. That person has a light. If we can swim close enough to them because they're different and they're living different and they're acting different, if I can get close enough to them, maybe they can help me get to shore. And that's what God's called us to do, is to help people. So we're going to be talking over the next few weeks about different areas of life that God has called us to live differently, that God has called us to live in complete contrast to the world. And guess what? It's not stylish. It's not super comfortable. It doesn't look great to everybody around because they don't live that way. So it looks weird. It looks odd. But you know what? We're dressed for the occasion and the environment that we live in. We are dressed to live in a mad, crazy world, and because of that, we can live in peace and not be worried or stressed or feeling discouraged because we're not living in that way. We're living in the rescue and the empowerment of God in both his grace and in his peace. So the first way that we do this is that we build our life differently. We're going to only cover three of them today, but the first one is that we build our life differently. And this comes out of Matthew seven twenty four to 27. This is Jesus talking. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the storms rose, or the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against it, against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So the first thing that we do differently is that we build our life differently than the world. We build our life on Jesus. We build our life on God's word, which means when we go to make a decision, we look at God's word and we say, what does God say about this? And that's how we build our life. Well, I think I'm going to make this decision. Have you looked at what God's word says about that type of a decision? Well, no, but it feels good. Okay, that's how others build their life. That's why a lot of them are drowning and they're coming under the waves and it's crashing and they're full of anxiety because they're building on sand and it seems like every time that they go to build or they go to lean on, it just falls out from under them and they don't have strength. But when we build on God's word, then we have strength. We had uh, well, a crazy house when I grew up, but I used to sell real estate for a long time. I'll tell you what, selling real estate back in the early 2000s when the market was crazy and everyone could buy a house, if you had a dollar or less, zero, actually zero, if you had zero money down, you had bad credit, and you just wanted to own a home or a second home or a third home or a fourth home, and you had almost no income, 
there was a loan for that. And you could do anything you want and get a property. And so property values were skyrocketing like crazy. And so everybody wanted to be an investor and buy a house and flip it. And every house wanted to add some square footage because if you could get some more square footage, everything was selling just by the square foot, right? Which is how you price houses. But when the market's really hot, square footage makes an even bigger difference. And so everybody's like, how many square feet? And so you're telling the square footage and you're adding it up. So everybody wanted to add on. And I saw some of the craziest add-ons to houses that you would ever imagine as being an add-on. One house we went into, I got there with my friend, we pulled up, and he was just riding around with me for the day looking at homes. We get out, we go in there, and it says that it's like 1,400 square feet, like 900 square foot home with like a 500 square foot basement. So we go in, we look all around this little tiny house, and we looked for probably 30 minutes, and there was no basement anywhere. And so we're like, okay, I guess it's just a wrong listing. So we get out and we go to leave, and turns out it's a real listing. Uh, it was correct information. So we said, okay, well, it's got to be there. So we just put the car back in park. We go inside, and we just keep hunting for this basement. Finally, in the master bedroom, next to the bed, up against the wall, we see this little tiny wooden cutout door that's like about this tall. And we look at it, and we're like, what is that? Because it's just like a piece of plywood on like a little hinge. And we creak it open, and we look in there, and there's this little wooden, creepy-looking stair thing that goes down. And I'm like, there's no way that's a, there is no chance. But we're like, we're, we're, we're going for it. So we go in there, and we go down, and we're down in this little dark dirt floor, only like this tall of ceilings, and we're crawling around under here with spider webs and everything, looking under there, and sure enough, that area was the basement that was the extra 500 square feet of home that they counted. And so everything was counted. You could add on to anything. My, I grew up, my dad did crazy additions on our house that were completely against code, and now they're not there. Somebody tore them down. No, I visited Portland a couple of uh, months ago, and we drove through that same area to show the house that my dad turned from a 900 square foot home into a 3,800 square foot home, all on very highly suspect or illegal additions. My whole childhood was this, being built around this castle. And I went back there about, what, three months ago or so, and we drove by, and Dad, I hope you're not watching. All of it is gone. Whoever rebought the house, they literally stripped off every addition, everything that was there, and it's just this original little tiny 900 square foot house again that's there. But one thing when you were selling these homes is that you could do all of these add-ons and try to get value out of them, but even if you had a nice home that had real square footage and it was beautiful inside, if the foundation was broken, then you couldn't sell it. The value is gone. And so even then, when the market was hot and things are going crazy and you could sell dirt floor underneath the house as extra square footage, you could do all these crazy things but the one thing that didn't change is if you walk up to a house and you can see the foundation's broken out, the dirt's sliding away, people are like, I don't want this house. Foundations are not something that you can go cheap on. They're not something you can overlook. They're not something that you can build enough on top of that it won't matter. Oh, the foundations of how I live are not that great as far as my Christian walk. I don't really read God's word. I don't really spend time in prayer. I make my own decisions. They don't really line up with what God would have, but I know that he has grace for me and loves me, so I don't probably have to do that. I'm just going to add a bunch of cool stuff on the outside. 
you know, I'm going to volunteer here. I'm going to help over there. I'm going to wear a great t-shirt. I'm going to do a lot of Facebook posts. I'm going to be on the stage and do worship. I'm going to do something big that everyone can see, but nobody needs to look at my foundation because if you really crawled in there, I kind of just do things my own way and I don't really listen to what God has to say to me and I don't follow that. Okay, as believers, we have to live totally different than the world and we have to look at God's word and look at what he tells us to do and we have to actually live our life based upon his direction. And so that is one of the ways that we have to look completely different from others. The second way is that we glorify differently. And well, what does that mean? What does it even mean to glorify? Glorify is to praise something, to put it up, to give it glory, to put it you know, way up above us and say, oh, that's awesome. Our society glorifies a lot of things. You know, we glorify, you know, Hollywood glorifies killing and glorifies sex and glorifies money. And sometimes just in regular life, we might glorify volunteering and that person volunteers so they're amazing or glorify, you know, looks or whatever the case is, we glorify all these different things. When I used to own businesses and do those types of things, everything was glorified on efficiency and scalability and being able to do all these things to, to grow a business and to have leadership and all of these pieces, that's what we glorify. Like, oh, that's when you've got it. I watched a lot of people have great businesses, make a lot of money, scale everything huge, have great leadership, build teams, do all these things. And within all of this building, because their foundation was, was not right, eventually it all came down as their family leaves them and they end up on their own and everything begins to implode because it wasn't built correctly, which was the first step. But then the second step is that what we glorify matters, and it should be different. And so we glorify the Lord. Here's some verses. I'm going to run through a few of them. Isaiah 25, 1. It says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. And exalt is, is the same as glorify here. Very similar. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Psalms 29, 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory... Due to his name, worship the Lord in holy array. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20. Flee immorality. Every other sin that man commits is outside of his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So God is living in you. So watch this. This is the God, this is whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. And so even what we do with our body is to glorify God. It's to point to him. It's to say he's the one. He's the one that's, that is to be praised. He's the one that does great things. Well, why do you serve? Why are you building a business? You know, you can build a business and be successful, but if your main point is to glorify yourself or glorify the money or glorify the business, all of that is hollow and leads people towards glorifying their own selves. And most of us can't hold the weight of that, and eventually we implode or the expectations or the stress of it. But if I build a business even, but the point is to glorify God and it is to use the money and to use my influence to help and to serve and to love others and point them towards God, then now it's no longer I that am the one that's holding it up, but it's God working in and through me to do his will to help and to be a blessing to others. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I mean, this gets right down into our diet, right down into our food. Do we eat to the glory of God? You know, are we thankful for the food that comes? Do we point to God when we have food? My wife and I were eating some uh, fruit 
like a fruit bowl is all chopped up, watermelon, pineapple, grapes, like all this stuff just thrown in this bowl. And I was eating it, and I just was looking at it. And first was my regular self. As I looked in there, I tasted one of the pineapples, and it wasn't as good as the other pineapples that I've had before. And so my first thought was, I think when they do these fruit trays, it's all the cast-off fruit, right? It's like, this one's not good enough for selling on its own. We're going to just throw it over here. And then they cut it up, and they sell it on a tray, right, and hide it. So that was my first thought. And I almost said that. And then I stopped, and I said, what kind of thought is that? There's no gratitude in that. There's no thankfulness in that. There's no glory to God for providing for me in that. And so instead, I switched my brain over. I got out of this virtual reality. I took that hat off. I set it over here, and I said, no, what's God's view of that? And I said, yeah, you know what? There's a lot, in a lot of places in the world, this right here would be a huge delicacy and a blessing to be able to sit here and eat a bowl of fruit. These people don't even have food. We're like picking through grapes and watermelons and apples and pineapples and, and eating these things. Like, man, what a cool thing that we can do. And I had to purposefully, intentionally move myself over out of this whole entire crazy, mad world and go, no, this is truth. This is a blessing. God's taking care of me. And then even the food glorifies God. And so it's important that we glorify God. We don't just glorify ourselves. Romans 1, 20 to 23, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In other words, God has done enough in the world that if you say, well, show me God, I don't believe there's a God, the Bible is saying there is enough around you that at eternity, if you say, God, there was no evidence that you were there, that you won't have an excuse because he'll say you could have looked around you. Who made the trees? Who made the sun? Who made the galaxies? Who made all these things? Who made people? Who gave people a desire to love each other? Where did all this come from? And that we're without excuse. And then it goes on, and this is key. This could be life-changing if you just apply this one verse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him. We're talking about that we glorify differently. They didn't glorify him. They didn't give him praise. They didn't put him at the top and say, well, this is all for God and we love God. And that's why we do this and look to him. Okay, but they, did, they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. They took the glory of God and they didn't want to have the thankfulness of heart and the gratitude of heart and to give God glory. And so they took that and they traded it off for giving glory to themselves and to the earth and to the animals and to everything else that's down here. And what happened was that their thoughts became futile, their hearts became darkened, and they began to descend. So both gratitude and glory are two huge guardrails that God puts in our life to keep us safe and to keep us in his blessings. As soon as we stop glorifying God and as soon as we lose our gratitude, we are heading over the rail and we begin to have a steep decline in how we think and in our heart and in our actions and our activities. And we go down. But when people look at our life and they say, why are you doing that? Or they say, where does that come from? 
Where does that joy come from? Well, it's because I have this six-point plan that I do, and I get up at 5 a.m., and I do this from 5 to 5.15, and from 5.15 to 5.30, I do this, and then I drink a shake, and then I do two laps around my neighborhood. It makes me feel great. But when we point to God and say, you know what, I'm grateful. I even get up and exercise, and I have a health to do that because God is good, because God made me, because God loves me, and I get up and I have a, a motivation and a reason to be alive every day because of God and his love for me, and what Christ has done for me. And when we point that way, it keeps our light shining, and it's different, and it sounds weird to people, and we want to take it off, and I just want to say, well, I don't want to tell them that. It sounds silly. It sounds so silly. I'd rather just tell them how, you know, I've got this great plan I'm working, and they could apply it too. No, i got this great God that I'm in relationship with, and you can have it too. That's a lot different than applying my five-point plan. It doesn't feel as good to my ego but it will feel a whole lot better to them in eternity if you just tell them the truth that it's the grace of God working in my life he's empowering me to have a good attitude and to overcome my past and to overcome my negative thinking and to move forward overcome my anxiety and overcome my natural way of doing things and to have his love in my heart and to be excited about the day and to move forward and wake up and say man this is the day that the Lord has made that's God working in me and we glorify differently so we build on a different foundation and we glorify differently, glorify God. And the last one today is that we find our peace differently. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What he's saying is, I give you a peace that's different than the world, and my peace does not go away. It doesn't change. So example of that is when I, before I really gave my life to the Lord, as an adult, knew what I was doing, said, man, I'm giving my life to the Lord. Before that, is that I would have, my life could be completely level like this, totally level, wonderfully, amazingly level. No financial trouble, no friendship trouble, no car trouble, no health trouble. It's just perfect. And my emotions and my peace could be all over the board while my life is just smooth. And somebody looks at it and says, why is your life smooth, but you seem to be acting like it's crazy? Like you were fine. I mean, what's changed between yesterday and today? And today you're like so stressed out. I don't know. You're so discouraged. What changed? I don't know. My life was fine, but my peace of mind and heart was like this. Now when I gave my life to the Lord and began to follow His ways, and it took time of development and maturity in the Lord. You know, again, like Jesse said, it's a step at a time, right? One step. But as I begin to renew my mind and focus on the truth of God's word and what God's word says about my life, what God's word says about my emotions, what God's word says about things, and I began to listen to the truth and break out of this crazy, dark world that's going on and say, what's the truth? And live in that. And God's empowering me to understand and live in his way, I begin to have peace so that then my peace now can go like this every once in a while. But it can go like this. You know, it's like any road. There's a pothole occasionally. But for the most part, it can go like this while my entire life can literally be going like this. It's a complete reversal. It doesn't mean that I never have a moment. I got kids. We got a new baby we just adopted, starting over there. 
I got money and bills and all kinds of things going on like everybody else. So there's this once in a while. But for the most part, my life runs like this on the inside, even if there's chaos on the outside. We lost our business a, a year and a half, almost two years ago now. Has it been that long? A year and a half? See, I don't even know the time anymore. We lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, lost a business we spent years building, and I literally, I don't even know when it was. She does. But this is why. Because I live here even when my life goes there. When we had our business and money and we could do, you know, the things that we want to do, however we wanted to do them, guess what? I didn't have more peace because my peace was not based on that. My peace was based on Jesus, on who he is, on his word, on what he's done for me. And when it dropped out, we still had peace. I didn't have to go through a six-month thing of nobody can come over to my house. I'm in depression. I can't do it. Now, I'm not saying if you struggle in those areas, I'm not at all mocking you. I'm saying for me, I didn't have to go down way low because I had to grieve and suffer before I could come back out because I never, put, I never leaned on that. It wasn't where my weight was. It wasn't my foundation. I didn't glorify the business. My foundation was Christ. The glory, even when we had the business, was what God wanted us to do with it and who he wanted us to touch with it. And if that's the case, and if it got taken away, then the next question was, Lord, what do you have for us? And because our heads didn't go down, but they stayed up, when the opportunity opened up for us to adopt a baby that was in need of adopting, our spirits were up, our eyes were up, our hearts were up, and we said, yes. Had we been doing this, we may have been here, and that opportunity would have come, and we would have been nowhere near it. and missed something that God was going to put in our life to bring blessing to us and blessing to this little girl. And so God wants to give us a different kind of peace. It's a peace that's not that the world gives. It's not based on whether or not there was a mass shooting yesterday or whether or not this politician's gotten thrown out or whether or not this one's elected or whether this one tweeted this or that or whether or not my kid got a bad thing in school or whether or not this kid made a bad decision or whether or not me and my wife don't seem to be getting along. All of that stuff can be happening, but peace in Christ can be here if we wear it. It's a choice. It is a choice to get up and to take our day and say, I'm going to spend some time in the Word, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, and I'm going to spend some time with this worldly mind and this worldly way of viewing things, this virtual reality off, and I'm going to put on the mind of God, and I'm going to wear this and see the world through this truth. And as believers, it's on us to wear that for our own lives and so that we can stand out to others. When they see you, it becomes a testimony. How can you go through that and yet you still have peace? What's going on? It changes lives. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for uh, your word. God, I pray that as we go home today, Lord, I pray that you will show each of us, Lord, where maybe we can make adjustments in our life. Father, to ask you, God, how do we change in these areas, Father? Lord, how do we refocus our life, Lord, to build upon your word? God, how do we maybe readjust the way that we think and speak, God, so that we bring you glory, Father, and talk about you, Lord, and so that we actually uh, kind of point our life your direction, God, and give you gratitude and thanks for all that you're doing in our life, Lord, rather than worry and, and be distressed all the time or uh, even just, God, be 
not necessarily worried of stress, but just be kind of comatose on things, just go through numbly. But Lord, how do we wake up and point to you and be thankful? And God, help us to understand that. Lord, help us to, Lord, realize that peace is something that we can step into by the power of God, by the revelation of your truth. Lord, help us to walk in it. Lord, when anxiety comes, stress comes, worry comes, Lord, when all these cares of the world come, Lord, help us, God, to say, no, we're going to live and walk differently. Lord, when somebody's talking to us at the water cooler about the next crazy thing, Lord, God, empower us. Lord, help us put our best on and look crazy and say, you know what? I know that's happening, but I have peace. I'm not worried. Lord, because that opens up an opportunity to speak about you and to lead people to you. So, God, we thank you for it. Lord, I pray you be with each of us throughout the week. God, as we learn and apply these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, yes. Um. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com slash give.